0: Learning about Jesus from the one who was his closest friend. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn about truth and love from John the Beloved. We are in 1 John chapter 3. We left off yesterday at verse 10, and now we're moving into verse 11. And today we're looking at love. It's such a wonderful word, love. I love you. You love me. And if you look at what Jesus commanded us to do, it was to do what? To love, to love everyone, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy, love those who persecute you, love the person sitting on the road who has just been beaten up by robbers and show that person love by putting them on your mount. And taking them into the nearest inn and taking care of them. All of these things are love. And that's what Jesus called us to do. Jesus is love. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to love. What's the opposite of love? Hate. And you are not called to hate. So that's what John is going to talk about in 1 John big uh, chapter three, beginning at verse 11. So I think we just go ahead and start reading into there and see how far we get. So first John chapter three, verse 11, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. There you go. That's it. Love one another, uh, love one another as I have loved you. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, that is what, that's in John. That's what, in 1 John, that's what we are called to do, love one another. God is love, and if God is love and we are created in his image, then we should love. It's not that hard, is it, right? I mean, love. And and as a matter of fact, John's even going to give us an example of this. He said, don't be like Cain, who did not love, doesn't say that in the text, but do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So if you all remember the story of Cain and Abel, we actually looked at this in Genesis. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a gardener. Or Cain was a herder, a rancher. Abel, his brother, was a uh, farmer, a rancher. And they both gave an offering to God. Cain felt that God loved his offering of produce less than his brother's offering of an animal. And so he was jealous, and so he killed his brother. And that was a horrible thing. Why did he kill his brother? Because he did not love. He did not love God. He did not love his neighbor. He did not love his brother. He didn't love anybody. The only person that Cain loved was himself. And if the only person that you love is yourself, then you are highly capable of doing the same things that Cain did, like murdering your brother. So don't be like that. Love. Be a lover, not a hater. All right. So that's it. Can't be that difficult, right? That's what we're called to do. Well, it might not be as easy as we think. Uh, beginning in verse, uh, verse thirteen. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So this is true also. If God is love, and if we are made in the image of God and we love, then we should not be surprised when those who are haters don't love us. The world didn't love Jesus because Jesus was love. They looked at Jesus and they said, we don't want to be like love, and so they crucified him. There is always this disconnect, this tension, this polar opposites of love and hate. So when Jesus' pure love came into this world, then Satan did the only thing he could do, which was pure hatred. And what is the pure hatred of anybody? It's to kill them. That, that is the ultimate hatred of somebody, is to kill them. And so when Jesus came, who is pure love to this earth, then Satan did what he does, which is pure hatred, and he killed Jesus. And so don't be surprised if you live a life of love, and don't be surprised if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if your life of love causes you some issues in your life. Because loving is hard, loving is difficult. Loving cannot be done perfectly except by Jesus. We do imperfect love, unfortunately. But the older we get, the more mature we get, the wiser that we get. Hopefully, our love becomes more and conformed more and more conformed to the love of Jesus. So love, don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's and what John means here by the world is the culture of. Of, of those people around us who live by a different set of standards. What they live by is it's all about me. It's about how, how far I can get in the world, about how much power, wealth, fame, comfort I can have in this world and, and can amass, as opposed to a Christian, a follower of Jesus, where it's more about how can I be your hands and feet? How can I love and serve the other? That is the total difference between a Christian and somebody who does not follow Christ, the one who follows Christ and what he commands is to love. Somebody who's against that, we call that a person of the world, and they live by different rules, which is not loving our neighbor, but loving ourselves. And we are not created to, to love ourselves. That, loving ourselves destroys ourselves, which is why Jesus gives us these commands, because we are created in his image, and he knows better than us that loving ourselves ultimately leads to destruction in so many levels. And so he gives us commands, love God, love your neighbor. It's that simple. If you do those things, you will live a life that's completely fulfilled in Christ. But if you don't, then you start going down dark, deep paths like Cain did, right? So in verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, well, let's go back to 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. I I guess, and that was verse 14. We looked at, if you'll remember earlier, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That And so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the early church had this document called The Teachings of the Early Church. And in that document, they said there was two ways in the world. There was the way of life and there was the way of death. And I see parallels with that here in John where Jesus, where John says there's two ways. There's the way of love and there was the way of hatred. So we know that we have passed from death to life. We've passed from from hatred to love because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So one of, the, one of the ways that, one of the earmarks of Christians is that they love one another and they've passed from the way of death to the way of life. And the way of life is not necessarily, it is eternal life, but it is not limited to eternal life. The way of life actually starts now And every day that we wake up, we can choose the way of life or we can choose the way of death. My prayer is that we choose the way of life daily, hourly, that throughout the day, we are continuing to choose the way of life. We are continuing to choose love. But if you hate your brother or sister, you are in the way of death. It's that simple. It is that simple. Love all those around you, do not hate, and who are who are my neighbors? Well, anyone you come into contact with, even your enemies are your neighbors. Love everybody as Jesus did. Jesus, we saw from John, Jesus laid his life down for everybody. So we should love everybody. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So it's that simple. See everybody in the world around you as someone that God has called you to love. And if you see a person in need and you have material possessions, have pity on them help them with their material. Be like the good Samaritan who was walking down the road. He saw the guy who'd been beaten by robbers. He saw that they had a need. So he picked him up, put him on his horse, took him to the nearest inn, paid for the expenses. That is what we're called to do. It can't. It's not that difficult. Except it is that difficult. Because if you remember in the teachings of the apostles, this this teachings I was talking about, the way of life, the way of death, It can fall apart in a couple ways. The first way is that when we reduce someone's need to simply a monetary need or a need of clothing or shelter and not understand the deeper systemic problem in their life that's producing the need of money or shelter or food or clothing, And so our immediate response is to simply throw money at it and kind of wash our hands of it and move on. And that is not what Jesus is calling us to do. The guy just didn't, the good Samaritan just didn't give him money and say, okay, take care of yourself. No, he put him on his horse and he took him to the nearest inn. So sometimes we have to get involved in somebody else's life to understand what the true need is. And the true need may not actually be money. The, the true need may actually be something deeper than money, that money is just the, the outward appearance of what the need is. If you drive along the freeway and get off at an interstate exit, sometimes you'll see a person sitting there saying, need money or need food or need clothing or need a ride to Tucson or something like that. And what those people are doing are pulling on your heartstrings to hopefully give you money. It's for you to give them money. And that is a natural response of every Christian. Every time I see somebody by the side of the road, I think to myself, is this a person who needs love? Well, the problem is, one, we as Christians cannot treat everybody. Jesus did say the poor will always be with us. And so the people who are on the side of the highway, simply giving them money, first of all, It may not be something that they truly will use for food, clothing, or shelter. That money may actually be used to buy and purchase things that may destroy them. And we don't know the answer to that until we actually get involved in their life and ask them, what is your true need and and solve that need. But so many times we are busy moving from point A to point B and we don't have the time to invest ourselves and find out what it is that their true need is. And so that is a that is a problem with our our society today is we're always so busy. But the other thing is is that one person cannot solve all these problems. It is impossible. I think about people there are places around the country, many of them in California right now, where people are homeless and destitute and they live in communities out on the street. And it seems strange to me that we can't solve that problem. But if we only see the problem as a monetary problem, then we'll never solve the problem because money is only the outward appearance of what the true problem is. And the true problem is most likely something that goes much deeper. And I guarantee you, it is a spiritual problem. I guarantee you it's a spiritual problem. It is not an emotional problem or a physical problem or a medical problem. I mean, those things are, definitely present, and there's no question about it. But if it were simply a medical problem or something like that, we do have resources available so that those people can find the medical help or the or the, the emotional help that they need. But if it, if it ends up being a spiritual problem, there is no governmental agency that can really dig into the spiritual issue. And remember, the spiritual issue is why Am I suffering? Why am I in this condition? Why does God hate me? What is going on with my life? And those are spiritual issues that the church can address because we can tell every person, God does not hate you. As a matter of fact, God loves you so much that he became flesh and dwelt on this earth to wrap you in his arms and love you. That's what God does. God is love. So so when we are called to love one another and to use whatever gifts God has given us, time, talent, treasure, resources, or whatever, to love the other, there is a danger that we don't just simply give money and call it good because there is the potential that if you give a person only money and don't invest other resources, time, understanding, compassion into their life, that they could take that money that you've given them, and use it for things that could be very, very harmful for themselves. Now, in the Didache, they understood this. And so, in, in the Didache, which is the teaching of the apostles that I mentioned earlier, they said, love one another, but let the alms sweat in your palm before you really, really understand what is going on in another's person's life. So, and that's, what they, that's how they, they talk about it. Let the, palm, let the alms sweat in your palm. In other words, don't just give money, but invest where's that money going and how is that money helping you. But if it's a spiritual issue, the money is not going to help. If it's a spiritual issue, the only thing that can help is a spiritual help. And spiritual help is what Jesus called the church to do. When he sent the disciples out two by two to go into all the towns and the villages, he told them to go in and to heal. And what Jesus meant by that is to listen, to understand what struggles people are going with, what spiritual issues they're dealing with, and then listen to those spiritual issues and then pray over them that the Holy Spirit would come into them and that God would heal them of their spiritual issues. And that, the church is really, really good at this, by the way. This is what we're called to. And if you've ever had somebody pray for you, even for a physical need, you will understand the blessing and the power of somebody coming and praying over you for a, for a physical need. But so much more so if, you're, if you can dig down deep and find out that it's a spiritual need and have someone pray over you for a spiritual need. God, I pray for this person's spirit, that you would be with them. Fill them with more of you. And be with them, and walk with them, and help them with the struggles and the battles of life, Lord. But let Your Spirit rest upon this person. These these things are very, very, very powerful, and that's what that's what Christ called us to do: is to love, not just by money, but by to love by investing of ourselves to find out what the condition is to love. But that's only point one. Point two is there may be people that are trying to game the system that they know kind of they're not looking for spiritual answers because they don't care about spiritual answers. They've either, they either have settled all the spiritual issues in their life or whatever. They're not looking for the spiritual issues in their life. And really the only reason why they want money from you is because they're gaming the system. They know that you're a Christian. And Christians are called by their God to love the world by divesting of their own resources and to give to other people. And so they, they, uh, they attack that, that Achilles heel in Christianity, which is, hey, you know, if I ask for money, they can't say no because that's what they're called by their God to do. And so I'm going to pull on their heartstrings, I'm going to ask them for money, and I'm going to game their system so that I can game their system. There is that going on also. People who are perfectly, they're not in a spiritual crisis, although that is a spiritual crisis. They may not even understand it yet, but they're not necessarily in a spiritual crisis. Their, their need for things isn't necessarily spiritual, but it's just that they want to game the system. And in that case also, we as Christians should find out what's going on in their life. Let the alm stay in our palm until we understand what's going on in their life. And the problem with that is sometimes they're lying to you. Sometimes they're giving you a story about how Aunt Martha is sick and in the hospital and you have to get there immediately. And if they have to get there immediately, and if they don't get there by tomorrow at noon, she's going to die and the whole thing's going to fall apart and all sorts of things. And you're sitting there hearing this story and you're like, is this the truth or is this, are they trying to game the system? Are they trying to pull on my heartstrings? And the answer is, we don't know. We simply can't know. Some people are so good at this that they can present themselves in ways that you cannot possibly imagine, that pull on your heartstrings. The reason why I know this is because over the last 15 years, we as a church, Christ and Veil, have a fund called the Helping Hands Fund. And when that money comes in, we get money into the fund. And then the role of the Helping Hands team is to listen to each case and to discern, is this a real need? Is this a temporary one-time need that they just can't find the resources from all the available resources that are out there? Or is this somebody that's trying to game the system? And we have a team that, that listens, they pray about it, and then they make an action as, as, as best as they can, which is what we're called to do. Will they make the right answer every time? No, because no person is perfect. Nobody does this perfectly. The only person that was able to do this perfectly is Jesus. It's kind of what John talks about here. Because if we continue on in verse 19, he says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So in other words, um, oh, I, I didn't put it up. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, We know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So in other words, you're not going to know the truth. So rest in what your heart is telling you. Just rest in that. And the older you get, the more keen your heart is to to be a good resource for you. The more you deal in these areas, the more your heart says, yeah, this isn't the need or yeah, I think this is a need. So you make the best decision that you can But rest knowing that God knows everything. He knows your heart and he does not condemn you. Verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the son, of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. This is The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So ultimately, it comes down to the spirit's presence in our life. We know that when the spirit dwells in us, he is helping us fight the battles of this world. Some of those battles are, Lord, how do I use my time, talent, and treasure to bring about your kingdom in this world? And there are so many needs, Lord. How do I know which needs are right which needs are wrong, which needs are gonna harm somebody, which needs are people gaming the system, which people which needs are people not gaming the system. Two answers to that. First is rely on the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life to help you discern these things. This is what James talks about. He says, if you ask for wisdom, God will grant it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts or conditions on that in James 1. He says, if you ask forgiveness, if you ask for wisdom, God will give it. So if you pray, if you stop and say, Lord, I really, really need your wisdom on this. He will grant you wisdom every time. And then you can rest assured in his confidence and love that if you follow upon the wisdom that God has bestowed upon you, you can rest assured that you're doing what God's called you to do. And you can and you can grow in his faith. You can love the world around you as the way called, God's called you. But if your hearts condemn you, this is a different story if God really, really lays it on your heart and you hear language like that, that this is the direction or the path you should take, it is not wise to go against something that God has laid on your heart. It is not wise. And if God lays something on your heart and you realize, man, this is just, this doesn't seem right. I know God's laid it on my heart, but if I do this, it's going to have a huge impact here and here and here and here. Then call upon other people in your life whom you know love God and say, this is what my heart's telling me, but I want someone else just to double check to make sure that my heart is telling me the same thing and get more people involved in that kind of decision. And if you get two or three or four people involved in that decision, whatever kind of comes out of that, ultimately it's your decision. But if you get the input and the advice from other people, then that is a very, very healthy way also to make a decision to go forward. Because loving... (laughs) While Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. Yeah, Jesus, you gave your life for me. You gave up everything for me. You walked to the cross and even died on that cross for me. Is that really what you're calling me to do? Or do you want me to remain in this world to be your hands and feet in this world? And Jesus says to both of those, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I want you to die for me and I want you to be my hands and feet in this world if you don't die for me. Um, and that is that is a that is, that is the tension of the Christian life. That we're called to give up of ourselves, but we're also to remain to be his hands and his feet. And the way we do that is by doing what he's called us to do, the best way he's called us to do it, to love as he loved us, to call for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's help in our lives so that we can discern when and where we use the time, talents, and treasure God's given us to love the world around us. And if you do that, if you call upon the name of God to help you through this and really put God first in making decisions about how to love the world, you can rest in his presence. You can have comfort that you're doing what God's called you to do you know that you are not condemned because you're asking God to help you in these decisions. And we are not condemned because John three sixteen God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, whoever follows him, whoever's in the kingdom of Christ to seek out his will in our life, to be in the kingdom, to be baptized, not because of anything that we do, but because of everything that he's done. If you do all of that, then you shall have eternal life and have it to the abundance, have it to the full, which starts right now. And that is the joy, that is the peace, that is the comfort of Jesus being in our life. There is no other greater comfort. So Christ calls us, John calls us, to not be haters, but to love. To love God, to love our neighbor, to love our enemies, to love those who persecute us, To love everybody we come into contact with, to be keen, to be wise as foxes, to listen to people and their situations. And as God calls us, to maybe delve a little bit deeper into their life and find out: is this a spiritual issue that needs to be reviewed? Or to also delve into their life and see if they're trying to game the system, to take to look at the Achilles' heel of Christianity. And to try to, to basically, you know, use that Achilles heel against the Christian Church, which which there are many that do that, right? There, there are many, many, many people trying to do that, and to make your best way forward, the way God's called you, and then to live in the comfort and the peace that you know that you're in the kingdom, and He's not going to kick you out of the kingdom, and you're doing as best as you can, to live as a light on the hill, as salt and light in this world. When you do that, you will find true peace and comfort in him. So let's leave it there and close in prayer. Gracious God, help me to love the world as you love the world, to sacrifice when you've called me to sacrifice, to love keenly and awarely as you've called me to do those things. But most of all, Lord, Lord, help me to know that you will never leave or forsake me because I'm in your kingdom and that will never change. Because of your son, Jesus, who is love, in his name we pray, amen.